Welcome back, listeners, to another exciting episode of Bills and Beers, the Buffalo Bills preview podcast here from the Bills backers of Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lars. Joining me tonight, Billy the Kid Nichols is back with us. Hey there, and uh, how are you guys? I got my friend Betty here. And um, uh, uh, with us tonight, also the president of the Chicago Bills backers, uh, Sujit, is with us as well. What up, what up? Not with us tonight is Cassie. She is supposedly suffering from jet lag following her honeymoon. I am on the record as saying jet lag lasts as long as you want it to. So, Cassie, thanks for the commitment. I would like to say thank you, listener. I was going over our numbers today. We got about a solid 200 people who subscribe to this podcast and listen every week. Uh, We like hearing from those we hear from. We like to see that there are people out there listening to us. We really appreciate it. Tell all your friends. Billsandbeers.com is the best way to share your thoughts with us. That'll take you right to our Facebook page. You can also find us on Twitter. Uh, But we really enjoy doing this, and we're very grateful to have you out there listening. So tell every Bills fan you know. Gentlemen, we have the New Orleans Saints coming off their bye week. So just like last week, we're headed back down south to play a team on the road coming off their bye. It's going to be an interesting game. We also have the big division game to go over, win over the Miami Dolphins. So without further ado, let's talk some Buffalo Bills football. Without going back and looking at the stats, I think that Sunday's win over the Dolphins was our first division road win since 2007, 2008 maybe. I'm, I'm going to guess 2007, the year that the, the Dolphins went 0-16. Uh, but, you know, it required a last-second field goal by Dan Carpenter returning to whatever they're calling their stadium now. Uh, Sun Life, a stadium that was only about two-thirds full the entire way through. Big game, big that's game. That's because the weather wasn't good enough there. Right, yeah, 80, only 80 degrees. So it was a fun game to watch, a frustrating game to watch, another heartbreaking, excuse me, heart attack win. Bill, who was your Labatt Blue MVP of Sunday's victory? So without a doubt in my mind, I give this week's Labatt Blue Player of the Week to Dan Carpenter. Wow. Interesting. And it's for two reasons. First reason being uh, his game-winning kick. In general, um, his play has been uh, awesome for us, despite, of course, the uh, lack of being able to get the ball in the end zone um, on the uh, ensuing kickoff uh, after that field goal. We may be – I may be eating these words at some point um, because – you never know what's going to happen, and every kicker sort of goes through uh, his ups and downs, and hopefully he's not going to have any downs and uh, you know during key games at key moments. But um, it's a guy that you definitely don't want to overlook and is my Labatt Blue Player of the Week. That's a pretty bold call for everything that happened. Uh, Suj, I'm coming to you next. I have a feeling you're going to go with who I think you're going to go with, but who was your Labatt Blue MVP of Sunday's game? I think I'm going to take the easy way out and just go with Mario Williams. Um, you know, I... Everyone wants to complain that he's streaky, that he does well in some games and not well in all games. But I, mean, I remember Bruce Smith not getting three sacks every single game. No player in the NFL is going to get that many sacks every single game. But, you know, it's what you don't always appreciate, the fact that they're not running to his side or the fact that they're not getting past him. Um, you know, he's playing, been playing very disciplined football. Uh, so even beyond the sacks, 
Um, you know, he's not as frequently out of position as even some of our linebackers who are supposed to hold the edge are. Um, he very often holds that holds that edge. And if you don't see him pursuing and running to the ball, it's because when there's a cutback, he'll be there. Um, and that's the whole point of pursuit is you have to maintain that edge and maintain that, um, those, those, those rushing lanes. Um, and so, you know, obviously the, the, the huge sacks were, were, um, were, were game changers, were game winners. Um, and, uh, so I, I definitely think he gets some credit, especially for all the crap that he's gotten in the past. Absolutely. And I was looking at the numbers. So he has 10 sacks now through seven games, which is phenomenal. He had 10 sacks all of last season. The season prior to that and the season prior to that, I think our leading sacks getters were like four and a half, five and a half sacks. Uh, Marcel Darius already has four for the year to match his total from last year and from his rookie year. So obviously our team is generating pressure and getting sacks more so than they ever have before. But more importantly, so I just went back to see like, how does his sack numbers rank up in recent history? And going back and looking at some of his numbers, I, I just wanted to see, like, well, where have we been sacks-wise? And Aaron Schobel had 10 sacks in, like, 2009. Aaron Schobel had sacked, or Aaron Schobel had 14 sacks in 2006. And that was, like, by far the, the, the biggest number we had in a long time. But... Pro Bowl year for him. Pro Bowl year for him. But none of those sacks came in... in an important part of the game. And you look at a lot of what Aaron Schobel did. He got a lot of garbage sacks. He got a lot of cleanup sacks that really didn't matter for anything. Whereas Mario Williams, those two sacks that he had on Sunday were, were pivotal to us winning. Not, I mean, not least of which obviously it was the strip sack, but even the one before that to end that drive, this is something we haven't had in probably since Bruce Smith as a guy who not only gets the sacks, gets the numbers, but is doing things when the game matters. So I can't obviously take him for my Labatt Blue Player of the Week, but I will say, uh, it's an, again, it's almost becoming trite to give it to this guy, but Freddie Jackson, uh, probably the most important play of the entire game was his third and fourth run from like the 32-yard line. He ran it nine yards or so up to where we put Dan Carpenter into more or less chip range. That that went from a very difficult field goal to a very easy field goal on that third down pitch. I don't know if you guys know the one I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I, I watched the the highlights and the replay of the game again today, and just watching that play again, Dolphins were starting to burn timeouts. That that run alone may have been what won us the game. Um, Obviously, that yeah. Hail Mary was a heart attack at the end, and the kick return. There was a lot of things that happened after that, but that that run put us in a position to win the game. And not to mention the effect that he has with those types of play, plays like on the rest of the team. Absolutely. And you know, there's there's no there's no mystery why he's the captain. There's no no mystery why he, Kyle Williams and Eric Wood are the captains of this team because those guys are leaders out there. I heard a great interview with Eric Wood on Shopin the Bulldog yesterday. I really like these guys. I like where their head at head is at. I like their attitude. But we had a 14-point lead on Sunday. Uh, we let the Dolphins kind of chip their way back into it. Now, again, on the road, division game, they're coming off a bye. We had a lot of things going against us, so to get up 14 points was a bit of a gift anyways, particularly after the pick six to start the game. But somebody's got to be the Genesee Cremail bummer of the week. Bill, who was yours? Yeah, so my my Genesee Cremail bummer of the of the week is – it's not his fault, but it's CJ Spiller. Yeah, that's yeah. So I feel bad about the fact that you know, again, like he's trying to the best of his ability given his injury. 
he's obviously not the same CJ and we've all been sort of commenting on it. Like it's, it's, and I think it's great. It's finally being talked about is out, out in the open of whether or not like a 70, a CJ Spiller at 75% for consistent weeks is even, you know, good. Or if like a hundred percent to shard choice is like, you know, a 60% CJ Spiller and, having CJ Spiller rest up and get a hundred percent is what you really need in order. Cause you know, he's a difference maker, but only when he's at that, like, you know, 90 to hundred percent. Yeah. I think you, you hit uh, the nail on the head there with the fact that, you know, it's the type of injury that he has. This is not like a broken finger or a broken hand where he has to wear a cast on it or something like that. This isn't an, an, an ankle, you know, and he makes his career breaking other people's ankles with his moves. Uh, and when he tries to cut like that, he's, it's just not possible. And, um, you know, he is not a power runner. He's not a gun up the middle. He's a make people miss, use my burst, use my speed type of player. And if you don't have good knees and you don't have good ankles, you just can't physically do that. Um, and so, I mean, I think one of the things, though, is that, you know, Marone had talked about even before the Miami game of potentially resting Spiller. Um, but I think the problem we're running into is that Freddie's not 100% healthy either. Um, and I don't think they have the confidence in Tashard Choice to, to carry the full load. I don't know why that is, though. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, when but we, well, we, he's, we he's done... About, easily, we say this about other players, too. I mean, it's, they know something we don't know. Yeah, and it's the other thing is that Tashard Choice has had success, but the defense is not expecting a run when Tashard Choice is in. Um, they are to some extent if it's first down and 10, um, but... You know, they're also thinking that, oh, great, well, they have to share a choice in there. Maybe they have, you know, they're going to put, you know, have a run play or a short a short pass or something to that effect. Um, so they're not going to put eight in the box the way they will if they see C.J. Spiller there, knowing that if C.J. is in there, he could run for a touchdown. Uh, same thing with Fred Jackson. Uh, but I think the problem is just it has to be running back by committee right now because nobody is fully healthy other than Deshard Choice. I mean, heck, we had um, Frank, Summers. Frank Summers barreling through for a, what does he have, a seven-yard per carry average? Yeah, and then three-yard uh, loss. Yeah, it was like a yeah. 17 yard burst and a three-yard loss. So um, I wouldn't mind seeing I wouldn't mind seeing I would like to see them line Frank Summers up. 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Just let him get a full head of steam and run into some, like, third-string guard that's, you know, just put in for that play because there's a good chance that guy's going to get injured um, and just see what happens. Just to see what happens. I want to, It's like the refrigerator parry play. I just want to see what happens. So are you giving yours to Spiller then as well? No. Um, my... Um, my goat, what is it, the Jenny Cream Ale Bummer of the Week, um, I actually just had one in my head, and I completely forgot it. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, it's, uh, it's Robert Woods. Hmm. It's another week in a row that Ooh. he's... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's been two weeks in a row we haven't heard his name. I think he had one catch uh, last week. Uh, it wasn't a hugely consequential catch. It wasn't a third down, you know... Uh, a third down conversion or anything. Um, you know, Stevie's made some great plays in in, in the past week, and I, I refuse to believe that he's still not getting the number one cornerback from the other team. Um, so you know that I thought that Robert Woods would benefit from having Stevie back, uh, but he kind of disappeared again. Um, I still have complete faith that he's a great player and that he'll do fine, but uh, he's going to need to. Uh, be able to make himself more visible. Now, 
The other thing that's different is that we have a different quarterback. Yeah, so, you know, it different. might just be an issue of uh, of the chemistry that they have and the and the comfortableness. Yeah, cuz we were calling out TJ Graham while EJ was was in there. So, is the fact that, you know, does EJ find and naturally look at TJ's routes more than he does uh more than he did Robert Woods and, you know, vice versa for Thad Lewis? I don't know. Well, you know the knock that I read today on Thad Lewis, and uh, this came out uh, in light of the all twenty-two reports that come out from some of the members of the Buffalo media, is that Thad Lewis goes to his first read, and if it's not there, just checks it down. And Robert Woods is probably the secondary read on most plays, and the reports showed that he had open receivers that he was just missing because he doesn't go through those progressions. What do we expect? He's yeah, a, he's no, a practice squad player. I mean, I you can't get you can't get upset with him. You can't get upset with anybody because he's he's had us in two consecutive games now that we were either winning or won at, towards the end of the game. So he hasn't made mistakes. I mean, that's the biggest well, thing. Well, and, and knock on wood because every every down he goes without making a mistake just means that there's another one waiting. I think I I could be wrong. I hope I'm not wrong. Uh, one of the things I heard about Robert, or excuse me, about Thad Lewis that I'd love to hear though was that. Barone didn't have a choice but to start him from what from what I heard that the players love him so much and that he has such passion and is such like a well-respected guy in the locker room that one of the reasons Marone had to go with him in the first place is because he feared he would lose the locker room if they brought in somebody else to play in his stead. And I think we see that. You know, he had that uh, pass for a first down where he got his helmet knocked into the stands and he's getting up and his gold chain's flying all around. You know, and he's, he's, he's throwing the fist pump and he's getting all fired up. And the guy, the guy plays with some serious passion. I love that. But I think that there is something to be said about the Robert Woods-EJ Manuel relationship. I think it's very similar to... The Fitzpatrick Stevie relationship, they, they they feel like they're just more comfortable with each other, and I think that we'll see Robert Woods come back when Manuel comes back, but I wouldn't expect it to happen prior to that. Um, and on a side note, now they're saying uh, Manuel might be back for the Steelers game, so um, we might just have two more weeks of Thad Lewis this week, and then the Kansas City game at home. I'm going to give my Genesee cream ale bummer of the week to, and I know this is kind of like a deep cut and it's, it, it kind of seems inconsequential, but I got to give it to Jerry Hughes only because again, I, we were talking before we went live here. I was pitching a fit because halfway through the fourth quarter, the most sacked quarterback in the league going up against one of the teams that gets the most sacks and we hadn't even touched him. And part of that's because, you know, they rely on Mario Williams to generate a lot of pressure and he did, but we're not really getting it from Jerry Hughes. He's obviously an upgrade over Melvin Shepard, so I don't want to visit that trade. I think that we definitely made out uh, much better than Indianapolis there. Uh, but he's got he's got to be a little bit more of a game changer. He's got to make his presence felt a little bit more, kind of like Allen Branch has um, along that defensive line. We don't have Alex Carrington in there right now, so we need another mauler opposite Mario Williams, I think, for this defense to really take off. I think, um, I mean, that kind of gets to one of the problems that we were talking about before we started this podcast, which is this disappearance of the entire Buffalo Bills team. You know, we start off two games in a row now, put up lots of points, whether it's, well, finally we had a defensive score, right? We've been wanting that for forever. We thought if we have a defensive score, we'll be fine. Uh, and it turns out we were fine, but it, we had to fight for it. Um, but, you know, either way, we score points up front, 
and then we just disappear. Offense disappears, defense disappears, and and the uh, the other team crawls back into place. And then suddenly somebody wakes up in the fourth quarter and says, "Whoa, we're about to lose this game that we were just we had in hand." Um, you know, there's got to be that there's got to be a level of consistency and a level of focus. I have to believe that that is at least partially what's going on. I'm sure that the other half of that is the speed with which our coaches can make adjustments to what the other team is doing. Um, but they do make adjustments, so it's not like they can't make those adjustments sooner um, if they it, it, when they if they can recognize it faster. I think those dudes, we have a well-coached team, which is why they find themselves back in those games. We were down 14 to both Cincinnati and the New York Jets, two of the best defenses in the NFL, and both of those games went down to the wire. But well-coached though we may be, we're also very young and very immature. So putting together those four quarters, I think, is something that will come with time when these guys get more reps. They get more familiar with themselves, with the system and their teammates. But big test this Sunday for our defense. Jimmy Graham might not play, but either way, we're going up against who was hands down and without question one of the best quarterbacks in the league. They're coming off their bye week. They're playing at home, a very hostile environment. Let's talk about what to expect against these New Orleans Saints. There is a house in New Orleans. This is a crucial game for our team and their motivation levels for the rest of this year. As you can see this game going one of two ways. And actually, as fans as well, uh, as as we watch our boys out there in the field, but we could be put in our place. You know, any sort of spark that we have gotten from uh, the Dolphins game, um, you know, feeling positive, a sort of trend of positivity, uh, you know, it could be immediately squashed, and we can put be put back down to the level of the bottom dwellers of the NFL. Or well, hold on. let me. So you said two, one or two things are going to happen, yeah. and I think one of those two things are we get blown out or it's a close toss-up game. Nowhere in those two scenarios is it a sure thing that we'll win. So we've basically um, narrowed it down to three. No, we've narrowed it down to three scenarios, and only one of them do we win. Nah, I mean, I, he he's saying either we get blown out or either or or it's, it's a, a close game, yeah. and we win or, win or we lose. So you know, we've won and. We're not going to blow them Only out. one of those. We're not going to blow them out. We're, or we're not going to dominate the game. Okay, I'm going to go for But regardless of that, I think there will be two outcomes of our thoughts of the team. Either we think the team is where, like, realistically, probably we should be seeing them, and that is with the bottom third of the NFL. Oh, hell no. Or, or we play with them and we beat them up in some ways we lose in other ways but we realize that we are we should be in the playoff hunt i think it's uh it's like the commercial we are who we thought they were <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, so i mean I, here's the thing you know how it's gonna go i'm getting real tired of <laughs> of moral victories you know yeah. uh you know win or lose who i mean it doesn't matter anymore you know i think that moral fans are for losers Moral victories are for losers. That's true. I mean, fans want to find some glimmer of hope, and they want to take something positive. But you lose a game, you lose a game. You know, New England has lost, what, one, two games now? One game. Two. Two. Two games. And all of those games 
were moral victories for the other team. But who's five and two? You know, and it's because New England wins those close games. Even if they played like crap the whole game, you know, those would be moral losses for them because they played so badly. But they still find a way to win the game. Um, so, you know, yes, is 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 it nice to see your team do some good things? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, sometimes a, a, a crushing loss where you just get destroyed exposes more things that need to be fixed than the positive light of a quote-unquote moral victory. Um, so, you know, maybe the, maybe we get destroyed and, and we see something in our team that is glaring, has, has kind of, we've hinted at in the previous weeks, but becomes glaringly obvious. Like, for example, our horrible special teams coverage. Um, and maybe that's, that's what it takes to, to address those things. Okay. Now you guys are looking at this from 30,000 feet. Let's, let's talk about what's really going on here. Um, they could be without the best player in the NFL, Jimmy Graham. And Mike Pettin has fared well against Drew Brees in the past. And our defense, with the exception of Alex Carrington, is about as healthy as it's going to get right now. Uh, Gilmore's playing with a smaller club. But either way, we, we have, I mean, you got to expect that another starter is going to go down. So Gilmore playing with a smaller club is about as healthy as we're going to get. So I don't necessarily think that they're going to move the ball at will against us, particularly you know, and especially if Jimmy Graham is out. If Jimmy Graham is out, I think this, I think that changes the entire dynamic of this game. But one thing that really pisses me off about C.J. Spiller and Fred Jackson being nicked up right now, the Saints aren't that good against the run. They give up about 115 yards a game, and they give up five yards a carry. And that would be to say, oh, that's because everybody has to pass against them. Well, if that was the case, they wouldn't be running the ball 20 23 times a game to get to 115 yards on five yards of carry. We could dominate this game if we had two healthy running backs. We don't, so it's a little bit of a push. But when you look at when you look at this game on paper, it in some ways does favor us. I know prediction time is coming up a little bit later, but I mean I I think we're actually going to win the game probably 31 to 17. And one of the reasons one of the reasons for that is going to be, I don't know if you guys uh, were watching the game close enough this past week. Uh, however, uh, Thad Lewis, for the first time in my memory, ran the read option and kept the ball, yeah. which was <laughs> awesome. Something EJ needs to learn. Exactly. Yeah. Like you saw him do that, and you're like, okay, dude, EJ, why weren't you doing that, right? And he got, I don't know, maybe like four yards. He got like four, <laughs> he got four yards or whatever, and I, and – I think that that's something that is there's not obviously not a lot of tape for it and yeah they can probably prepare for it but if it's run the right way and uh, in, in, and sprinkled into our offensive play calling for um, for this week I got a feeling that that is gonna is gonna break one of those and uh, and it's gonna be a, a major motivational factor in the game we're, we're, and it's gonna catapult us to a 31 seventeen win. And particularly because the strength of the Saints' defense is their aggression. This is not a team like we've seen already, like the Panthers or the the Browns that just have the personnel. They just going to line up and make you beat them one-on-one, and they have players that are big enough and strong enough that they can handle that. They also have a couple injuries on their defense as well. Uh, Harper sat out today. I know Will Smith has been nicked up. Uh, you know, if we can counter their aggression with read option, with screens, with plays like that, and yes, we have seen the screen finally. I'm sick of people in Bill's Nation saying we're not seeing any screens from our offensive corner. We see those now. I agree, Bill. You know that that make them line up and beat us one on one because that's not how they can beat us. 
So I'm going to have to call call a bipolar Billy. Uh, so we go up against Miami, who was what, three and two. And you were the saddest, saddest Billy I've ever heard talking about how we're going to lose. And we're going up against the Saints and we're winning 31 17. Lord, on the road. It's not the Saints of old, though. You're thinking the old. You're thinking the old. It's, these Saints are pretty good. These Saints are pretty bad. darn good. I, I mean, these Saints, by most, almost any metric other than maybe rushing yards per game, these Saints are better than us. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't win. I'm not saying we can't win. <laughs> you know who else knows that? This team knows that. The Bills yeah. know that. Yeah, you know, and we all know that it's those games that nobody expects the Bills to win that they show up against. It's um, a dropped touchdown against the Steelers. It's uh, our tight end getting the ball stripped up, away from him against Baltimore. All those games we weren't supposed to win. And then there's some that we weren't supposed to win and we actually did win, like the game against Philadelphia last year, or a couple years ago, sorry. Um, where we uh, where where they jumped off sides on that on the on the hard count. Um, now, granted, Philly ended up sucking that year, so it, it wasn't as impressive as a win. But still, we do have the ability to show up against teams that we have no business beating. Um, and so this team is is all heart. So there's no there's no counting that out in the NFL. I don't know if you guys saw the locker room speech afterward, but uh, if you saw the locker room speech afterward, you had Doug Marone you know, speaking about. Uh, you know, the victory and his words resonated with, uh, with me and, you know, my belief that I've stressed over and over again about the talent level in the NFL being, uh, you know, very sort of equal across the board. And it all comes down to, uh, you know, who can sort of play together as a, as a team and have everyone on the same page working toward that same goal and yada, yada. And obviously, yeah, as fans, we're like, yeah, working toward the same goal. Super Bowl, every team has that. But, you know, I mean, there's so many intricacies with it being a business and, you know, all the stuff going on with injuries or whatever where you've got dissent within the locker room. And, um, you know, for the first year of a of a head coach, you know, stepping in and I think having however, however he's sort of done it, um, you know, I think it's starting to reflect – in, on the field that all these guys are underneath this one's one leader and yeah. you know are so you playing playing together to to get out there and, and put some w's up so you know with that even if our talent level isn't as good i think we've got a uh, a real good chance to to give these guys yeah. a, a a victory now having said that probably you know we've already talked about him today probably the most talented player on this roster is mario williams okay are we now at a point, or are we are we still kind of high from Sunday to say that Mario Williams in games like this and in most games moving forward will be the person who decides whether or not we win or lose the game? Because part of me thinks that that's very true for this Sunday. I, you know, I think that's hard to say. I think that Mario can do a lot of things without being obvious, whether it's run yeah. run defense, whether it's holding an edge, that type of thing, whether it's moving plays away from him. Um, so does he need to have three sacks in order for Mario Williams to quote unquote have shown up? No, I don't think so. Um, I honestly believe that, you know, our defense is going to play well. Um, and, uh, you know, they're going to be out on the field too much the way that they often are. 
Um, and I think that's when we talk about our defense disappearing for the middle parts of games, I think that's usually a complete byproduct of our offense also disappearing. And so our defense just has to, you know, they get a few three and outs, so then they're tired and they can't be out on the field that much. Um, so I think, I think it's that, but I, I actually think that it's what our offense does. Because I think that we have a high-powered New Orleans State offense that is partially injured. Um, and I think that we have a extremely talented and highly capable defense in, in, in our team. Uh, and I think the difference is going to be what the two weak parts of the two teams do. Uh, not to say that the Saints defense is weak, but, um, you know, I think that if we get plays made, if we are able, if, you know, if, if Thad Lewis is able to find Marquise Goodwin on a deep route, uh, or TJ Graham on a deep route, um, I think if, I think opening up that, that, that deep ball might be the key to winning this game. Um, and of course it's going to be Stevie making third down catches, um, and Robert Woods making across the middle catches and things like that. But, um, you know, Thad's shown a pretty good touch on that deep ball and there weren't as many called last week. So as long as we can keep him upright, um, which it has been a problem. He's been sacked quite a bit, part of it, which is his fault, part of which is our offensive line's fault. But I think that if we can keep him upright and get him some protection to get the receivers time to get on a deep route, uh, I think that that could be, it just takes a few plays. You know, it just takes a few plays. I uh, totally agree. And, you know, we'll wrap this up, uh, you know, with one one final statistic I'll throw at you guys. Our team right now, and, you know, we it, it, it passes the eyes test. You, you could argue that this defense is better than it was last year. People will say, well, no, I'm watching this team get gashed. It's like, wow, they're running an awful lot of plays out there. And when you look at, you know, the volume stats were both good and bad in. So volume stats, number of sacks, number of interceptions were right up there. But also yards, points, we're giving up a lot of things like that. But when you start looking at the per attempt plays, our defense not so bad. However, our offense, and this, this, it, this, is, this is totally the cause for everything I just mentioned. Our offense right now is 31st in the league at uh, percentages of first down. I don't know if that's percentage of downs run that are first downs or if percentage of downs that achieve a first down. Either way, it's a wash, and we are 31st uh, ahead of only Jacksonville. And that is absolutely something this, this team needs to get better at. And it's, it lends itself to hope knowing that we have a rookie quarterback, we have a rookie offensive coordinator, so they're only going to get better. And with a talented backfield like we have, I think we can rely on that stat getting better and better. And when it does, uh, you know, I think it'll have a holistic effect right on down the line with the defense, but that is absolutely something on the road that we need to improve on. So we'll see. We'll see about this game. It's going to be tough, and I don't think anybody in Bill's Nation will tell you otherwise. But uh, with that in mind, let's get into the wild card and predictions. Finally wrapping up this episode, which means it's time for the wild card portion of the time. Bill, you've been you've been dethroned. It's the wild card. All right, I like that. That's good. Uh, playing together. That's nice. So earlier this week, I posted to our Facebook page the video of the Jets fan close fisting the female Pats fan uh, in the concourse following the game. Uh, we don't need to shed, or excuse me, uh, express any opinions about that. <laughs> I think I already <laughs> um, did that. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's always nice to see opposing fans, particularly of rival teams, going at each other. Uh, and male on female violence is, I don't think, anything we're going to go with or uh, go after this week. But uh, if... Please don't beat your wives. If Please don't beat your girlfriend. You could punch any Bills player in the face. 
past or present, who would it be and why? Suj? I'm about to smack you in the face as soon as it's my turn. <laughs> Front hand. <laughs> okay. I'm going to smack the hell out of some Willis McGahee. Ooh. Oh, Lord, that boy. Going to make fun of Applebee's. And you know Applebee's has some good wings. Okay? I mean, it's not Anchor Bar. It's not Lenovo. It's not, uh, what's that other one? Barbell. Barbell. Um, there's another one, too. You Anyways. Duff's. Duff's got some good wings, too. Anyways, we could have a whole other conversation. But he's going to go. This team, you had major knee injury. Major knee construction, and this team still took a chance on you. And then you get here, and yeah, no kidding, we're not Miami. You know, we're not Las Vegas either. But you know what? Miami ain't no Rio de Janeiro, okay? So it's all levels. It's all levels, okay? Miami, I just spent a damn week in Miami, and Miami is some pitiful, pitiful place to be, okay? They have South Beach, which should be the most beautiful place on earth, but it's disgusting. I mean, you know, we got... I mean, yeah, the nightclubs, absolutely, it's great, you know. But you go there during the day, ain't nothing but junkies and broke-ass homeless people walking around that area. You know, at least, you know, you walk through New York. You know, if you go into, like, you know, the meatpacking district or some area that is a hip spot, it's a hip spot during the day, too. You know, or even here we are in Chicago, you know, like the... The places besides, like, the one in- industrial area where a lot of clubs are, the places where that are cool during the day are cool at night. Man, Miami is a crap hole during the day. There was one good gelato place. There was one good gelato place. Where was this when we were talking about the Dolphins last week? I don't know, but Willis McGahee. And then, so then he gets here, and then all he does is bag on the city, and then goes elsewhere. And, you know, I'm so glad he's gone from team to team to and team. And Cleveland. And Freddie Jackson has just stayed in one team. Has, you know, been Pro Bowl caliber for the times that he's been able to play. And, you know, Will Smigay, yeah, he breaks out. But does he ever sustain a single season? No. Even when he's not injured. Uh, so, you know, if I could smack him in the face, I'd go straight up backhand on him. There's two guys that I really effing hate. <laughs> one of the guys, though... In particular, just because of the fact that he was so frustrated week in and week out, and he caused us so much, so much stress because of his play on the field. <laughs> and I mean, my God, my God, it was infuriating. That's Chris Kelsey. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, wow, I, I would, dude, no, I would hang Chris Kelsey. Wow. From a tree. <laughs> Not racist because you're white. Exactly. And he's white. Yep. The guy, I mean, he just sucked. He was the face of our franchise for years. Fitting. It was so it was fitting. fitting. So, um, I, I can't believe you, I thought for sure you're going Trent Edwards there with uh, Chris Kelsey. Uh, so, I don't care who is offended by this, and... Um, I made mention of this before the Cincinnati game, and I know that Bill, it's one of your favorite stories because he came back from from uh, losing us a Super Bowl, and the entire town of Buffalo was cheering Scotty, Scotty, Scotty. You know what? Every time Scott Norwood shows up at Ralph Wilson Stadium, they lose. 
Why? Because he has a dead chicken around his neck or some bad voodoo that follows him into Western New York every time he's around, and I did not like the fact that they honored him before the Cincinnati game, which, by the way, we lost by a field goal. Shocking. Uh, when they put him on the Wall of Fame or whatever a couple years ago, the all-whiteout game, same thing. We were on a roll, and then the entire season tanked after that. Scott Norwood, as far as I'm concerned, you're not welcome in, in Buffalo, in Niagara Falls, Rochester, Erie, Pennsylvania, London, Ontario, anything that even remotely resembles Bill's Nation, you get out. Get out. You get out, okay? You are the most infamous Bill of all time, and every time you rear your ugly little head, the Bill's something bad happens. Go back to selling insurance or whatever it is you did. And I, somebody tried to tell me, oh, oh, well, you know, they wouldn't have gotten to the Super Bowl if it wasn't for Scotty Norwood. Bull shit. They had three <laughs> Hall of Famers on that offense and four more on that defense. Scott Norwood did nothing but lose them a Super Bowl. And the Bills have been snake bitten ever since. So Scott Norwood, I know you're listening. Get out. Move to Pittsburgh. Come to Chicago. I don't care where you go, but take your bad football juju with you. Now, going on, speaking of voodoo, no, man, what? your opinions do not represent the Bills and Beers as a whole. Well, they you're should talking, because there's only one opinion that talking, matters and it's mine. You're talking like one of those trolls on the message boards no. who just wants to complain no. about shit. What, 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 what did I say that was false? What, what, what did I just say that was wrong? You're let, you're, you said a lot of things that are false. Really? Really? He shows up and we, and we win? Because has he ever been standing on the sidelines in, in his... Okay, I don't think that we can say, oh, when he shows up, we win or yeah, we lose. All we've done has lost for the past the decade. Like, no, the Cubs just suck. Like, that's the only reason. All, like, all, all we've done for the past decade plus is lose. So you can't really say, I mean, it's kind of like... So, and Suge, just like people wearing Mormon jerseys, let's not celebrate loserdom, okay? He lost us the Super Bowl. Get out. Other, other franchises, they celebrate their winners, not their losers. So why are we trotting our biggest loser out in the center field all the time? Answer me that. I, I get what you're saying, but then fine. If he's the face of loserdom, why do we keep parading him around as if he's the face of our franchise? I don't want him anywhere near Buffalo. Why is Dan Marino around the around the Dolphins? Is he? Is he? Yeah, I mean, dude. Yeah, he's a cele- he's a celebrated figure, and he never won. He never won. But Dan, Dan Marino didn't infamously lose them. He never once had a Super Bowl in his grasp. I mean, the same. You could make the same argument for a lot of what? great quarterbacks who he never won. Throw too many interceptions. Like there's it, okay. There's there's a difference between great players who never won a Super Bowl and kickers who had a chance to win a Super Bowl and completely biffed it. And that, I'm sorry, is what Scott Norwood is known for. It, there's no doubt that Scott Norwood will go down as wide right. You know, I mean, there's no matter what he did before that day, he will always go down as wide right. And to some extent, I definitely agree with Lars is that, you know, of all the celebrated players that still spend time in Buffalo, you know, whether it's Daryl Talley, um, even for that matter, Lee Evans, you know, like people that were, were all Buffalo. And, you know, as much as we want to punch Chris Kelsey in the face, at least he, you know, he was all heart and he tried his best. Um, you know, but he what he he was identified with losing because of the fact that we lost during that time. But he didn't single handedly. Not I wouldn't say cause. I don't think Scott Norwood caused that loss. But I think that he didn't single handedly you know execute a loss the way that, or at least not as big of a loss as so the one he that has Scott. No business being parade like. Yeah, no. I mean, I agree. That he doesn't need to be paraded all over the place. But um, you know, it was a forty-seven yard kick, and you know, if you're gonna do that, you should be smacking. Lindell in the face on a regular basis because Lindell's ability to kick a 
field goal past yeah, 40, 40 yards, yards is... is, is we right. so We didn't even try. I mean, how sad is that? That's actually something we should probably talk about, the fact that it's so nice to have a kicker, even if it is someone who's been streaky in the past, that we don't have to freak out every time we have a 40-yard field goal. But anyways, Knock I mean... Wood. Yeah, like, that's true. Although, I, you were, we were, this came up kind of when you were talking about Dan Carpenter. If there's one week where Dan Carpenter can lay an egg and biff a bunch of field goals, it's this week, and I'm fine with it. This is a non-conference game. We have a conference game coming up, uh, then two conference games, then a division game, just so long as it's a game that doesn't matter. And in the big scheme of things, this game coming up does not matter. Glad I lit a little fire there with the Scotty Norwood talk. So angry. Uh, but we do need to predict where our bills are going to come down uh, in this non-conference game on the road against a team coming off the bye week uh, who is, I don't know, you, I, you can see the Saints in the NFC title game this year. I, I think that's, I think that's a, at this point in the season, I think that that's fair to say. Uh, there's obviously two powerhouses right now in the NFC West in the the Seahawks and the Niners, although the Niners have kind of fallen back a little bit this year. But in a lot of ways, the Saints are the class of the NFC right now, specifically that division. But still, moving on, can we win? What's your prediction, Suge? You know, I view this game the same way that we viewed that game against Baltimore, that we almost won but lost at, the, at that last-minute strip. We thought we had no chance. Same thing with the Philadelphia game. We thought we had no chance. The score will be 28-23, and I'm going to leave it up to the rest of Bill's Nation to figure out who's going to win. Ooh, ooh, that's a first. Wow, I'm tickled with joy. 31-17, Buffalo. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to predict the worst. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go in expecting the worst uh, because I think, as I said before, Thad Lewis is due for a couple mistakes. I'm going to say 26-3. New Orleans. Uh, I think it, it could be. This could be a brutal day. Uh, yeah. and, now, having said that, it's going to come right down to the wire. It's going to be a friggin' heart attack. And <laughs> not if it's twenty six to three. <laughs> not if it's twenty six to three. No, it's now that I've said that, it won't be twenty six to three. But twenty six to three will be my prediction. Uh, I, we said thank you at the top of the show. I want to thank you again for listening, all two hundred of you, two hundred plus. Uh, that are out there. Tell all your friends, tell everybody in Bills Nation where you found our podcast, billsandbeers.com, best way. Subscribe on iTunes. And we'll be back to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs next week. But until then, go Bills. The Bills make me wanna shout.